You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Good morning, everyone. I'll tell you, as Pastor Dan was introducing me, uh, to be honest, I'm still getting used to being called Pastor Mike. <laughs> I mean, when I was young, I didn't even like my name that much, Michael. It was bland to me, you know, it was just, there was no power in my name. And uh, I wanted something tough, something cool. I wanted something like Malik. (laughs) That was tough, you know. But then, you know, as I got older and I got saved and I found out that Michael is a, uh, the name means one who is like God. So I'm like, all right, you know, I like that, you know, one who's like God. And, uh, and then I read in Revelation that Michael and his angels defeated the beast. I'm like, yeah, you know, the beast. But see, like, I had concluded at a young age that, you know, I didn't have a great name, and so I wouldn't do great things. And, and my name had given me significance. It, you know, it gave me an identity, and, uh, and, and, and I know this is like the African-American community. That's why they give their kids names, you know, like they're different, you know, and, and the spelling's intricate. We know it. But they're looking for significance. They want to be unique. They want identity. They're looking for a name that has impact. And, and, and that's what I wanted too. And so to be called Pastor Mike, like, Wow. I smile when I say that, and when, you know, pastor or anyone introduces me, um, becoming a pastor wasn't even something that I was even pursuing. It's nothing that I even seen happen um, in, my, in my life to become a pastor. I mean, I didn't even grow up going to church. I wanted to run the streets. I wanted to be the thug. I wanted to be Malik. But a year into our marriage, Janet looks at me and says, oh, my goodness, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, no, I'm not. Don't even, don't even say that. Like, I'm not going to be a pastor. And so then she started teasing me. Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike. And I'm like, look, I forbid you. <laughs> don't say that again. <laughs> Ten years later, I'm minding my own business. And I can feel the Lord just putting this weight on me. Like, I need to pursue becoming a pastor. I'm like... Like, Lord, I don't even want to do that, you know. But in faith, I know it's better to obey the Lord. So I call up my pastor, and I'm asking him, will you disciple me? And, uh, you know, this guy, he has a church with a couple thousand people in there. You know, I can blend in the back, you know. And he says, I'll pray about it. But then, you know, he says, okay, we'll do it. And so we started reading through some books and started the discipleship process. And then... We both discovered during that time frame that I wanted more. And he connected me with a pastor, another pastor. They have their own, they have their own program of bringing up their, training their own pastors within. And so I went there to be trained as a pastor. And, and I smile that I can be called Pastor Mike, not because I feel like I made it, but because God took this kid off the streets and gave me a new identity. And now he has called us to Baltimore to fulfill this vision that he's placed in us. 
And so I want to unpack that, how discovering our identity, discovering our purpose will give us a vision from God. And so the equation is, you know, identity plus purpose equals vision. And uh, for me, as we discover that, we want to immediately, you know, the authenticity of that discovery of our identity is going to be tested. Uh, And I remember when I gave Janet, you know, um, a wedding, you know, our engagement ring. And she told me, you know, later on that her and her friends, they were back in in an x-ray lab. They want to find out, is this thing real, right? You get jewelry, you're looking, is how many carrots is this bad boy? You know, you want to test the authenticity of it. And, um, And so, you know, I read through scriptures and Jesus was tested. He was challenged, you know, on on whatever he did. He came to heal somebody, and the Pharisees would step up and and, and question him. Who are you? And who gives you the authority to do any of this? And he would respond to them by telling his identity. He would tell them who he is, and this is why he came. So in John 10.10, I'm sorry, John 10.11, we get to see one of his responses to these challenges. And he tells them, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. His identity, he's telling them, I'm the good shepherd. I know who I am. I come to lead my people, to show them the ways of God that are pleasing to the Lord. And the good shepherd comes to lay down his life. He knows he came so that we can enter into a relationship with God. He gave up himself so that we can connect and build this connection with the Lord. And he does that in John 14, 6. He says, 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's fulfilling what he was called to do. And so our identity can be found in Scripture. We can trace back in history and find out exactly where we came from. Like men, we come from a nice pile of dirt. It's good. Some nice looking dirt I'm looking at. Y'all look good. And women, from a rib from the man. He formed you from the man's rib. But here's the thing. Like, we're all created in his, in his image, in his likeness, his characteristics. And he created us to have dominion over the animals, over the world that he created. So my struggle, well, let me get identity, is knowing and embracing who God created us to be. Now, I threw in there the word embrace because you can know your identity and still reject it. You have to embrace it, come into agreement with what the Lord has created you to be. And so for me, I had struggled with my identity for a very long time where I felt like I was an orphan. My dad wasn't there to affirm who I was. But everyone else around me had their opinion of who I was going to be. So they would label me that dirty little kid. He's a troublemaker. That kid who gets free lunch at school. That kid whose dad doesn't show up at football games. They labeled me. And I had to change that. I, I fought to change that. So I, be, you know, I, I focused on becoming a star athlete. And, and, and I would fight those kids that would make fun of me to the point where I became that guy on the street that you didn't want to mess with. 
Like I became, you know, I just wanted to be so tough. I wanted to be Malik. So my identity was, what I accepted as my identity was a broken home where my parents were always fighting and yelling and screaming and cops showing up at the door of the house. Like I took that as my identity. And I know for many of us, there's things that we are embracing as our identity. It could be a position. It could be our physique, wealth. It could be, um, there's a list of things. It could be things that we are running away from. An ad- uh, a sickness, a bad reputation, poverty, running from family. Like, I don't want to be associated with them. Like, your side of the family, like, nah, we're not associated with them. Um, our past. We could be running from. I found scriptures to be something that we can run to and find out our identity. So know this, that you and I were thought of. We were chosen. We're sons. We are daughters. We were purposed by God. That's what you'll find in scripture. The purpose, so identity, knowing, embracing who God created us to be. Purpose, the reason for my existence. I had mentioned earlier that uh, we were created to have dominion over the land, uh, you know, and over the earth. And so since then, we've been on this path of trying to reclaim this authority, this dominion that Adam lost back at the garden. And our ancestors were not capable of restoring or reclaiming any of that. But there was a perfect one, Jesus And he did that for us. He reclaimed what was lost by dying on a cross at Calvary for us. And now his death has given us everything that was rightfully belonging to us before Adam fell. And so now we get to serve Satan um, an eviction notice. His demons, get out of here. You don't belong here. This is ours now. We get to usher in the kingdom of, of, of God's God's kingdom, his kingdom of light, we get to usher that in. He's given us authority to bring order in the midst of chaos. So in Luke 9, 1, this is what Jesus says. And he called together the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Make a note of this. You have power. You have authority. In Matthew 28, 18, I want to back this up. All authority, this is Jesus' response again. He's telling them, all authority has in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So what does that mean for us? It means that disciples make disciples. So Jesus gathered the 12. He made some disciples. He empowered them. He gave them authority, sends them out. And so those disciples made more disciples. The equation of identity and purpose and vision is disciples. Making disciples equals 
more disciples. We need more people. We need more laborers. We need more light. Where there's so much darkness. So our identity and our purpose has been established from the very beginning of creation. I can say that it's old as dirt. (laughs) And we know that our identity and our purpose, when we start to see the world differently, when we start to see it even better than what we currently can vision right now, that's it. That's vision. Imagining the future through your influence. It's what you bring. That's vision. Imagining a world that is unified. Imagining a community that's relational. Or imagining our family's time, our family time together being more meaningful. Like we want to change that future to something better. And we have so many examples of people that had a vision for something better. Moses had a vision of a land flowing with milk and honey and and huge grapes. Jesus had a vision of reconciling and redeeming himself, of redeeming us to himself. Martin Luther King Jr. had a vision of a world of equality and a vision of the village church transforming lives, transforming communities. Every morning, we walk out of our front door and we, and we see the condition of our world. We can hear our city crying. We can turn a deaf ear, a blind eye, ignore it till we become numb and the world doesn't change. Or we can view the world through the lens of our identity and, and, and our purpose and use our gifts and our talents to bring healing to a broken city. We can do that. So a vision for me, my life, is to be more like Jesus. My marriage, I have a vision for supernatural unity and power and and for our ministry to be transformational. In John 10.10, I want to show you that the devil has a vision. And it says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. These are the words of Jesus. But I want you to see there's two agendas here. Death and life. Satan's vision is our spiritual death, our separation from God. It motivates him. He's bent on making sure that happens. You want to know why? I'm glad you asked. It's fear. Satan is afraid of you. When you discover your identity, when you discover your purpose, he knows his time is over. He's done. You scare him. And just like you and I, as we want to face our fears, we confront them. So Satan's going to confront you. And he knew that, uh, um, that our vision and our purpose is so meaningful. He, and he's so bent on attacking it. He knew that I'd be coming to Baltimore. I'm convinced of this. Because he was able to distract my dad and get him to uh, uh, abandon his post, his position in our home. And leave us, my brothers and I, to the streets. 
and he dropped the ball. But then God got my attention. He cleaned me up. I picked up the ball that my dad dropped. I'm passing on what my heavenly father is teaching me on to my kids. We're starting a new legacy. So we will be attacked. We will be distracted. We will be discouraged from discovering who we are, who we were meant to be, and our purpose. So back to Jesus. After being baptized and fasting for 40 days, he's, a, he's approached by Satan. And he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down from this temple that we're standing on. If you are the son of God, then look at all this land. I will give it to you if you bow down and serve me. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He wasn't receiving no lie from the enemy. He wasn't bowing down to someone, he, something that he made. Satan's desire for us is an unfulfilled life. Jesus' vision for us is an abundant life. So we have to make sure we know who we are because Satan will label us his very own if we don't. He will attach his name to you, his vision upon you, his agenda on you. But Jesus, who came to give us an abundant life, said in Genesis 1.26, this is his vision for us. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Listen to that. He says, let's make them in our image, identity. Let's give them dominion, purpose. The vision is man, us, representing heaven on earth. We're bringing the God's kingdom here on earth. We're ushering in. We're moving out darkness. We're moving the enemy out from um, our presence. So he gave us our identity, our purpose. In him, we live, we move, we breathe. We have our beings. If he is life, then we're life. That means we carry life. We bring life to wherever we go. And, and, and God had asked the prophet Ezekiel, as he's looking at this valley of dry bones, and he says to him, can these dry bones live? And I ask you, can we bring life to what people are calling dead? Can we bring life to um, a school, a rec center, a business, a community that people are saying is dead? Certainly we can. Not only can we do that, we can bring, we have the potential to bring down the kingdom of hell. We can make the enemy flee from the scene when we step up. We can pull down strongholds. We can intercede, expose lies, speak truth and life over each other where others are speaking words of death. We can break whatever strongholds the enemy is placing on us. 
you have power and authority because you've been discipled. You're being discipled. Pastor Dan's up here. He's giving you God's word week after week after week to feed you and strengthen you. The good shepherd, shepherd him. He's shepherding us. Amen? Now, if we're bringing life to these situations, if we're bringing life, we don't discover our identity, our purpose. Satan will set up his throne in places wherever he wants. If we don't discover our identity or purpose, we don't do that. We don't occupy the places we're supposed to. Satan rules. He will set up his throne. And just like he challenged Jesus, he's going to challenge us. Do you remember in the scriptures when Jesus went into the temple? Um, if you don't, I'll tell you. He went into the temple. And, and he went inside and there was people in there selling and, um, and, and buying. They, they turned the temple into a flea market. And Jesus got angry. And he, he made a whip. And he flipped over the tables that they were selling stuff on. He's whipping people. I'm like, Jesus is whipping butts. No one ever challenged him. You'll read it. They don't challenge him. And they don't challenge him because of his response. And his response was, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. They took the vision of God's house and twisted it and made it something profane. But Jesus came and restored the identity of, the, uh, of God's house, the purpose of God's house, the house of prayer. He came in and, and, and took ownership and restored its purpose. We are called to do such things, to bring light, to bring change. God has equipped us. He believes in us. When I, when I think of Jesus taking ownership for that uh, uh, and the language that we use for ownership, saying words like, like my and, and mind, me, I own it. Um, King David had used these words as well. And so in First Chronicles 28, I'm going to read verses 2 through 6, but I want to emphasize verse 2. And it says, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant and for the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for the building. He's owning it. God gave him a vision for his temple. He's owning it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this. I'm going to do it. And in verse 3, but God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as as a leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me and making me king over all Israel. And all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. 
He said to me, it is Solomon, your, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. In those five verses, four times, he says, I chose, I chose, I chosen, I, cho- I'm, I chosen. Uh, God has chosen you and me for this time right now. We were chosen for this time to make a difference right now. You have a specific reason for being here. So God created you for something. To bring change. And it's going to take us to, to, to develop a relationship with the Lord, to get close to him, to get real, like Dan said, he just makes it nice and cold in here so we get close to one another, right? Our relationship with the Lord is critical. It's the soil in which all things grow. All of this grows and develops into anything if it's going to do so. Our identity, our purpose, the vision is planted, fertilized, watered, and it grows from a relationship with the Lord. It grows from this, from what we've cultivated with him. And cultivation is an intentional process. Like we have to get involved. We have to sacrifice and and cut off things in our lives to spend time with the Lord. We have to make some decisions and say, this is not worth it. But my time with the Lord to grow, to become, to fulfill is that much important. Listen, the world needs for us to have this relationship with him, to grow. Back to that verse I read with David. He says, I had it in my heart. It starts when, that's, when it gets into our heart, our heart to know God and one that is open for him to look at and, 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 and to know. It's going to take a naked, unashamed heart. Know this, that shame is a barrier. It paralyzes us from approaching our God. It will stop us. And then we don't go to him and we don't get the healing that we need to be effective for what he's called us to do. So we can read the Bible and we can know so much about it, but if it doesn't get to the heart, it's only head knowledge. Because transformation happens from the inside out. We have to allow God to know us, to heal us. So that means that if there's anything that we're believing about ourselves that's not of God's word, that doesn't line up with what he says, it needs to be removed. It's a lie. It's a weed in, in, in this soil in this relationship, and it's choking out our lives. We don't become who we're supposed to because we're believing something that isn't God's word. And shame, I go back to shame. It just kept coming back to me. It's not our identity. It doesn't define us. And I think, I believe the Lord wants to break that today. No more shame, but we can boldly approach him and get healing. Psalm 1914, um, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. 
to meditate on a lie and to believe it is to reject the word of God, is to reject him. We're comparing these two, the lie versus God's truth. And if we believe the lie, we're turning our backs to God. Knowing and embracing who we were created to be and knowing the reason for our existence is a process taking time. But the word of God brings, reveals the truth. It sheds the light on all of these lies. It's a process. It's a process. And King Solomon was one who was the one who's going to build God's kingdom, I mean, his temple. And it took him seven years to do it. That's a long time. His dad, David, already had the preparations, the gold, everything, the wood, everything for it. Solomon builds it seven whole years to complete it. When Janet and I said yes to Baltimore, next month will make two years. It, one year. <laughs> These things take time. It takes time. We want it done yesterday. We want it done in a microwave minute, you know. We want to just add water and nuke it. We don't want to wait. But it takes time. When I'm hangry and I'm heating up my oven to 400 degrees, it's like 10 minutes. It's like forever. Like the beast is rising up in me like, ah, I just want to eat. But he's teaching us patience. He's teaching us trust. Trust in that whole process. From 2002, when Janet was like, oh my goodness, you're going to be a pastor. Until now, it's 15 years. It's been a process, and God's been revealing. He's, and, you know, and we've been waiting upon the Lord. We've been trusting him in his process. So what's next for us in 2018? It's in his hands. We will continue to follow him. We will, we will continue to trust in the Lord patiently, trusting him. The most important thing for us is to keep our eyes on the vision. There have been many times of discouragement, many times of doubt, attacks from the enemy. And I have to take, in those moments, I have to go back to the moments when God spoke to me, when the dreams were revealed when the prophetic words and the prayers were released over us, to be intentional on spending time hearing his word, reading his word, just so we can stay focused. Because the enemy's coming at us. He doesn't want us to come into what God has called us to be. We have to be intentional. And so there's a verse in the Bible, Proverbs 29, 18. And it reads, where there is no vision, the people perish. If I lose sight of what God has showed us, if we lose sight of what he's showing us, then it all crumbles to nothing. If we don't fulfill what he's called us to do, the enemy wins. And so I see the need for us connecting to God as an unrelenting pursuit, constant, after him, chasing after him, and there's so many, so many Christians that have fallen, and I believe it's because they may have lost sight of the vision. They have 
chased after the Lord and they pursued him. And, 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 and the Lord did great things in them and through them. But so many have lost the vision and it all came down. And I don't want that to be us. We need to protect ourselves from falling away. So staying connected to God, being around people that believe in us and that want to invest in us and what God has called us to do, that's where we find ourselves. That's where I'm pouring myself into. Um, These people will keep us on a path of fulfilling what God is calling us. They're the ones that are having us to dig deeper, to push harder, to ask more questions, to, to, to speak up and listen, to read a book, to listen to a podcast. We need to be around people that have vision because there are people that don't have a vision. It's something, vision is something that I'm fighting for every day. I'm fighting to keep it. I'm fighting to keep focused on it. And it's becoming something to die for. So what plans do you have for 2018? What strategy are you following to make sure that your year is successful, that you're living the abundant life that Jesus came to give? As I start to close, I'm prompted to tell you that we are responsible for discovering our identity, our purpose, and vision. We are responsible for seeking the truth and getting rid of every lie that is exposed. Our past, a violation, a sickness, it's not, it doesn't define us. It's not our identity at all. But if you have confessed Christ as your Savior, then he's your identity. And he says that you're forgiven, you're righteous, you're holy, you're a son, you're a daughter, you're blameless, you're healed. Receive that today. That's what he speaks over you. And he he should know. He's God. So in my early years as a believer, there was a song that would be played, and I would just move my lips to it. I wouldn't sing it. And I didn't value worship back then. But today, like, it's my anchor. Worship is everything to me. And so the song really ministers to me because there's been so many ups and downs. There's been so, t- again, there was times of doubt and discouragement. I, I hang on, I hang on worship. And the song goes, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. We are made in his image. So if we look at ourselves and we can't see him, I don't think anyone else is going to see him either then. Being intentional of knowing who God is and what he says about us. Identity plus purpose gives us a vision. Identity, knowing and embracing who God made you to be. Purpose is when you know and you understand what you were born to accomplish. And vision is when you can see it in your mind by faith and begin to imagine it. Again, Jesus says, I came to give you life, 
to give us life and give it abundantly. So this life is ours to, to, to grab hold of and to wrestle with it, to embrace it and to live it. So live it. I want to pray for us. And I ask worship team if you can come up. I had said earlier that if you have confessed Christ as your Savior, then he says that you're forgiven, righteous and holy, blameless, healed, loved. This is what he says of you. But if you don't know Christ and you would like to know him, you can respond by opening up your heart to him. And if you would like, we will pray for you. We can pray with you. You can come down and Pastor Larry, um, Pastor Larry and Pastor Dan, we will pray with you. But settle in your heart that God made me. He created me in his image. He has purposed my life. I am significant. I am important. If shame, if, if it's come upon you and you're finding it hard to, 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 to connect with the Lord, or you're finding it very difficult to connect with him and receive what he says about you, then we want to pray for you as well. And if you come down, we will pray. And I, I, I said earlier, I believe that the Lord wants to break that off today. So if you come humbly with an open heart to the Lord, he's already touching you. And all we want to do is just confirm what he's doing in you. And so I would just pray, Father, I just thank you for your words, for your love, for being intentional, Lord, in us to establish our identity, to establish our purpose, to give yourself to us so that we would live faithfully with you, Lord, that we would know who you are. We could dance with you, Father. We could enter into this relationship with you, Lord, where we're free. We can live boldly, that our lives would be effective and changing what's around us, Lord. Thank you for empowering us, your sons and your daughters. Thank you for touching us, Lord, and, and, and exposing what the enemy is doing and bringing light in the areas of darkness. So I bless you guys today. In Jesus' name, amen.